If you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of Philemon, again this morning, Philemon, and uh, I'm going to put you to work, Tim. I don't know, some got these last week, but if you didn't get one of the lesson handouts, Tim has them there and you can indicate to him that you need one. Good to see each of you this morning. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, teach Sunday school this morning, last week as well, and I guess for several weeks here, so whether that's as enjoyable to you as it is to me, I guess, we'll find out. But uh, we're going to, I wanted to, uh, I wrote some verses on the board this morning, um, and so if I could get volunteers to read verses. We're going to do it a little bit different this morning. Instead of reading through Philemon together, I want to read, I'm going to give you some other verses. Actually, Colossians 4, 7 through 18, there's 12 verses there, so pretty much everybody can read a verse unless you don't want to, but uh, we could uh, kind of go around with that. And we mentioned this passage last week, but I think if we read it this morning, it'll help us see again some of the the uh, connection between Philemon with the book of Colossians and the city of Colossae, all right? And then, uh, then there's a list of other verses. Can I get some volunteers on the other verses? Like, uh, you'll have to remember who's got what, all right, because I can't remember. But Philippians 2, Tim raised his hand first, so 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, Andy can get that one. Um, there's seven verses here, so we can kind of go around again on that one. But John 13, 35, all right, Andy back there. And then 1 John 4, there's actually six verses there. But, uh, all right, Andy, you can just read all six of those when we get to that. That will be a little e- easier, I think. So I see Esther came back in, so I'll say Happy Mother's Day and Gabby now. Uh, at first, I thought all the ladies were going to be gone, so I wasn't even going to say anything. But uh, anyway, happy Mother's Day to you too. All right, Philemon, if you remember, it's one of those, uh, just one of the several one-chapter books in the New Testament. And uh, it's a very personal letter. In fact, it's been called the most personal letter that we have in the New Testament, which is probably the case. Uh, it's not written to a church. doesn't address church matters per se. It's written from, one, from the Apostle Paul to a specific man. Now, some others are named in it, of course, but specifically to Philemon, and there's a specific personal purpose in the book. He's, he's writing to Philemon to basically make an appeal for Philemon to do something, all right? And we'll get more into that part next week, but uh, I'm, for sake of keeping me on track and time-wise and that, I'm going to try to stick to uh, the outline that I gave you this morning, all right? But the general storyline, if you want to say, of this little book is that Paul was a prisoner in Rome. We see that at the beginning of the book, and as he was there, somehow or another, he came in contact with a man named Onesimus, who uh, was a runaway slave, and Onesimus belonged to a friend of Paul's named Philemon, the man to whom the book's addressed. 
And uh, in that connection in Rome, somehow uh, Onesimus apparently was converted to Christ. Probably, it would seem, directly through Paul's influence uh, here. But uh, we don't know, again, all the, you know, all the connections with that and background of that because Paul was a prisoner uh, and so on. But, uh, but basically, this letter then is Paul's attempt to send uh, Onesimus back to Philemon and get Philemon to forgive him and receive him back, and not even just receive him back as a slave again, but more than that. And again, we'll get to those details a little bit later. But uh, he does express in this letter confidence that Philemon would do the right thing. And there's there's an interesting point that we could make there that we'll... Uh, try to bring out this morning, and that is obviously that tells us somewhat of the character that Philemon had, that Paul had that kind of confidence in him, right? And obviously as well, I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, we can assume that the apostle had probably spent time with the Lord over the matter before he, you know, sent the letter and, and so on, so perhaps the Lord gave him some assurance as well that Philemon would do the right thing and, and so on. But uh, it is a short letter, again, one of the shortest in the New Testament, and it's full, though, of some good lessons, spiritual lessons, uh, some practical things, and then when we get a little bit into the meat of the epistle, we'll see that there's some, uh, some areas of salvation that we, we can see some great lessons about, all right? It, again, it's not directly written about that, but we can see some spiritual lessons in, in the way in which Paul's writing the letter. So as we prepare to look at this, let's do this this morning. Uh, we'll have a word of prayer, and then if we could, I'll just refrain from reading, but we'll start with, with Pastor Brinker and then just uh, kind of go around what, again, would be kind of clockwise like that. And uh, start in the Colossians 4 passage, verse 7, uh, and all, but let's do that right after we pray, all right? So, Father, this morning, again, as we come to you, we, we, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, and we pray that this morning, as we look in your word, you'd help us, help us to be faithful with your word, but also be, uh, Lord, um, moved by your word to, uh, to grow in our lives, to be challenged uh, by you in what you might have for us this morning. We pray that you would, uh, again, help us with uh, some of the points that we're going to be trying to make this morning, be able to apply those to our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. For his sake we pray. Amen. All right, Colossians 4. Verse 7? Starting at verse 7. Okay. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant, in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that you might know your estate, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Particularly, my fellow prisoner, salute you, and Martha's sister, son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments. If you come unto you, receive him. Jesus, which is called justice, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluted you, 
always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and her Salute the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Memphis and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. All right. In, in reading that, if you remember like last week when we read through Philemon, you'll notice that there's a lot of the, the names of people. Some of you got those names to read, which sometimes are a little challenging. But uh, there's three um, locations, cities, that are also mentioned here. Um, of course, Colossians or Colossae, the, the book of Colossians is written to the church there at Colossae, but then Laodicea and Hierapolis. We mentioned last week those are three cities that, you know, in today's terminology may have been called like the Tri-Cities, three cities that right in almost in the, you know, pretty, very close in, in uh, location. And it's interesting that if you notice that uh, in verse 16, Paul mentions an epistle that apparently he wrote to the Laodiceans. Now, we don't have that in Scripture, so apparently it wasn't inspired of God as Colossians was and the book, I, book of Philemon was. But uh, it's interesting that he tells that church to read that epistle, and he wants them to share this epistle with the church at uh, Laodicea, and then he also mentions at Hierapolis as well. So... Uh, uh, let me just insert this, and then I'll get back on track here, is that it, there, there's statements like that in many places, all right, in the New Testament, which indicate to us that the, in the first century, the churches knew what was Scripture and what wasn't Scripture, all right? It wasn't, you know, left up to the Roman Catholics in 400 to, to tell us what the Scripture was. God's people knew what the Scripture was to begin with, all right? Uh, but... In this, you'll also notice that in verse 9, it's, uh, it mentions Onesimus here, and it calls him a faithful and beloved brother. So that's his, that's his status now. He's not called by, by Paul a runaway slave. He's a faithful and beloved brother, and he says, who is one of you? So obviously it seems that Onesimus was from Colossae, right? And Philemon, therefore, probably lived in Colossae, all right? So that helps give some background to this letter. Now, what we want to focus on this morning is what we intended last week and didn't really get there, but want to want to look at the first seven verses here in Philemon and talk about the testimony of this faithful man, Philemon, all right? This, this epistle, again, is basically an appeal on behalf of Paul to Philemon, or on behalf of Onesimus, to Philemon, uh, to, for Philemon to receive Onesimus back. Onesimus had wronged Philemon. And, uh, and, and so Paul is wanting to, bring them, to reconcile them, to bring them back into a right relationship one with another. And, and think about this, okay, if, 
if Onesimus is in that condition, he got saved, all right? He's now a child of God. Really, it's the right thing for him to do to return to Philemon. Now, in today's society and economy, everybody thinks, well, what about my rights and all this kind of thing? But, you know, really in, in the biblical worldview, our personal rights are really not all that important. It's what's right to do and what is right for the cause of Christ that's most important. Because really, our lives, that's what they're to be about, Christ. And so, if you are a, a saved person, if you're a Christian, in reality, you should be living, surrendering your rights to Christ. And sometimes that means you have to humble yourself. Sometimes that means you have to do what the world would think. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. But that's, that's what it takes to be... Uh, to be doing right for God many times in this world. Because, again, our lives aren't about us. They're about the Lord. All right, so as we look at this, the first three verses, and I'm gonna, again, I'm going to try to stay on track here so we can, we can cover this, and then uh, hopefully we'll have a little bit of time at the end. There's some questions I want to ask you. So uh, the first three verses you see are kind of like a normal greeting, salutation it's often called because he's saluting, greeting uh, those that he's writing to here introduces himself, and, and, and the writer introduces himself, and he, he's mentioning who he's writing to. But let's, let's kind of uh, just touch on this. We see the writer, of course, the Apostle Paul. Uh, but in this particular letter, it's interesting. Again, if you compare this with Colossians, you'll see that the same two people are named who, who are, you know, Paul writing and Timothy's with him. Same thing is here. But in, in Colossians, he addresses himself uh, refers to himself as Paul, an apostle, which he was. Nothing, you know, braggadocious or anything about that, and I don't think that's the point of it. But in, in the purpose of what he's writing in Colossians, he's establishing some authority there, which is important, all right? Here, he's not starting out with any kind of authority. He could have. In fact, he even mentions when he begins the appeal that he could have commanded Philemon to do this because it's the right thing to do. But he's rather, he's writing to him and beseeching him to do something, all right? And, and again, we'll look at that part later. But you see here that Paul, he, he describes himself as a prisoner. And literally, he was, okay? But here, he doesn't say that he's a prisoner of Rome and like he's complaining about it, you know, hey, I'm in prison, you know, pray for me, guys, I'm in prison, I'm just getting treated lousy and all this kind of stuff, but no. He's, he says he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I, I included a quote here because I, I like this. Uh, this is by a guy named William McDonald. Um, well, I'll just give him this little commercial. There's a book. It's called The Believer's Bible Commentary. It's just a one-volume commentary. It's not great deep stuff as such, but it, if... if you know, if you buy books, it, I would recommend buying that book, all right? It's not perfect. There's some things I would disagree on. But bottom line is, unlike many commentators, Mr. McDonald, he's a, he writes from a believing standpoint. He doesn't criticize the Bible as such and, and say, well, this, you know. He, he writes from the standpoint of we need to believe this, all right? Which is encouraging, by the way, if you read many books, because that's not 
common. But uh, he says this about this statement here. He says, yet the apostle gilds this low place, this prison cell, right, with the glory of heaven. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Not for a minute will he grovel as a prisoner of Rome. He sees beyond the emperor to the king of kings. And in reality, that's a lesson because, again, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we need to realize that ultimately, whatever it is, is we're, we're there in the will of God. So Paul, he had been arrested, right? In many ways, his trip to Rome was self-imposed because if you remember, he was on trial and uh, or had some hearings. He had, been, he had been arrested in actually, originally, in, his, in saving his life, all right? You know, the, the, the Romans rescued him. He was being beaten by the Jews at the temple, and, you know, the Roman captain came, and, and of course, they thought he was, a, you know, somebody doing something bad, and they, they but, uh, but basically, it protected his life at the time, but ultimately, he had to appeal to Caesar because, you know, the, the, the governors, Festus and Felix, they were willing to please the Jews, and so they weren't going to do the right thing necessarily, although they knew Paul was innocent. And so he appealed to Caesar, and so that's why he ends up in Rome. But uh, he probably would have been killed before that had he not done that. But uh, he's in Rome, he's a prisoner, but he, he says he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not of the Romans. Anyway, then he addresses, he, he mentions Timothy, his brother, which we commented on that last week. It's interesting how here, that's simply how he introduces Timothy. He's Timothy, our brother. He's not my minister, he's not my student, my, you know, he's our brother. Now, this is a little bit later, Timothy had served many years with Paul by this point. All right, and, uh, and all. We, we talked some about that last week, so I'm just going to pass on from that. And then notice his reference to the ministry because in verse uh, two, or 1, excuse me, also, he says, Unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. All right, fellow laborer. Now, in other words, he, what he was saying was, Philemon, I'm writing to you, but he addresses him as his dear friend and his co-worker. Now, this is an interesting thing because, again, there's some, there's some good spiritual lessons. We talked some about this last week, but let's go ahead and read several of these verses here. We need uh, these three verses here uh, read, if we would. I don't remember who had them. Philippians first, then 1 Thessalonians, and then 2 Corinthians. So whoever was going to get that, I think Tim had it first. And just as these are read, just notice the statements that are made. There's some different people mentioned in that, but you'll see the similar terms. Paul's referring to people as his fellow laborers and co-workers and so on here. Just so listen for that. Philippians 2.25, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. 1 Thessalonians 3. Verse 2, and sent Timotheus our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. All right, in 2 Corinthians 8, who had that? Whether any of you inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches in the glory of Christ. All right, in each of those verses, you see somebody, it's, it's different really in each of those verses, but somebody referred to, and, 
in each case, Paul makes some kind of reference to those people, uh, and some of them we know that they were people that he trained, all right? But, but he refers to them as a fellow laborer, a fellow helper, a co-worker in that regard. And First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 3, um, let's do this. Let's just, if somebody can read, just go and read verse 9. For time's sake, let's just read verse 9. First Corinthians 3, 9. Can somebody get that? All right, Tim. Together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. All right, in that passage, he refers to himself and Apollos. All right, but, but the gist is there, and you see in all of these, that Paul's referring to a lot of different people, and he refers to them as lab- them laboring together with him. And again, this is, and, and the same thing here in Philemon. He's referring to the man Philemon as a fellow laborer. And, uh, you know, in the work of God, it's important that we keep in mind it's not our work. It's God's work. And now we have responsibility, you know, different people have different responsibilities, different things. But in the whole mix of everything, every responsibility is equally important for the work of God to go on. All right? Within a local church, that's, that's the case, but also in the bigger picture of that. Uh, say, for instance, all right, take Ben and Alyssa Hall, all right? They're, we could say, on the front lines in the field in, in, in uh, Thailand, all right? And, and this church and other churches have a part in that ministry, are laboring together with them through helping to support them through prayer, which is often overlooked, but that is looked at in the scriptures as laboring, right? Uh, I mean, but, but the point is, in God's view of it, all right, the halls are no more important, if I can say it that way, than the people that are supporting them and helping them stay there and, you know, encouraging them in the work and so on. It's all in... In God's economy, it's all equal. Everybody has different roles, but it's all God's work. In fact, that verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 3, it's God's work, all right? Apollos, uh, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And, the, and by the way, again, that's something else that needs to be reminded of. Any results, any fruit that is seen in ministry, it's not any person's fruit. It's God's fruit, all right? He's the one, without him, I mean, people could labor for all their lives. Without God, it would be nothing, of course, all right? Nobody can change anybody else's heart. It's God that has to, has to work. And then notice the recipients here. You see a number of names mentioned. I'm going to hurry through these. We talked some about these last week, but you see Philemon here in verse 1. We see Aphia, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 2. And again, that's very likely was... Um, uh, Philemon's wife. It's kind of interesting that this being today Mother's Day. All right, uh, you know where did Mother's Day, the the if you want to call it the holiday, it might be celebrated in different places of the world. But where did that come about? Not really a trick question, but America. All right, and and part of my point for bringing that up is that you hear the the liberals and everybody today. Uh, I mean, America has this terrible past. We're so we're so racist and so, you know, uh, bigoted and all this kind of stuff. But do you realize that, that America probably has been the best place for women to live? 
And, and part of that's because of the, the biblical influence that is foundational to America. America is not a Christian nation, never has been a real you know, Christian nation, but, uh, but there's a lot of Bible influence in our history. And that's why life is valued. That's why, uh, you know, uh, women are, are valued not as possessions and so on, but as persons and, and so on. But anyway, that's, that's free this morning. But then you see others, Archippus, possibly Philemon and Apphia's son. Here he's mentioned as a fellow soldier, and in, if you remember, I don't remember who read which verse, but in, in Colossians 4, his name came up, and, and specifically it was said there that he was to take heed to the ministry that he had received from the Lord. Uh, so very possibly he was, and he might have even been the pastor of this church at, at Colossae, we don't know. Uh, obviously there was a church that was meeting in Philemon's house. It says in verse 2, uh, it mentions Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and then it says, "Into the church in thy house. Paul's greeting the church that met in Philemon's house. And then we see he wishes grace and peace. We talked some about that last week. Uh, very important, often overlooked words. Very necessary, uh, not just for salvation, but for everything in our lives. Uh, and uh, he, he mentions that grace and peace come from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Equally so. Uh, I wanted to take some time and talk about that title, the Lord, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not, we're not going to be able to do that this morning. So moving on into verses 4 and 7, we see the real meat of what we wanted to look at this morning, and that is the appreciation that, that the apostle expresses here for Philemon. Now some, some if you read, again, you read commentaries, whatever, some will say, that, oh, Paul, he's just, he's just buttering Philemon up here, all right? Uh, number one, that would have been uh, lying, all right, if he didn't mean what he was writing. And then secondly, uh, keep in mind that this is Scripture. It's not just, not just a personal letter from Paul to Philemon. This was, the writing of this was, overseen by the Holy Spirit who made sure that what Paul wrote was exactly what God wanted written, all right? So it's not just flattery here so that Paul could get his way. This is genuine, and that's important uh, for a number of reasons because it, it, indic it indicates to us some characteristics of Philemon's life here that we'll mention, all right? He expresses great appreciation for Philemon. He was a faithful man. He had a good testimony to those around him. And uh, the apostle expresses thanksgiving uh, for Philemon because of his family, his faith, and his fruit. That's the way we organize this anyway here. And, of course, these are good examples for any Christians to follow. But you see reference to Philemon's family. Again, assuming that the individuals in verse 2 are his wife and son, it seems evident that Philemon had, had influenced and led his family in following Christ. And you can't say enough about that. That's extremely important, obviously. Um, and again, this being Mother's Day, uh, obviously mother's, motherhood is often uh, degraded and overlooked in our society, but it shouldn't be. Uh, but Philemon's family apparently served as a testimony to Philemon's faithfulness here as well. Uh, but then you see Philemon's faith, his personal faith, 
and so on mentioned here in verses 4 and 5. Paul says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy faith and love, of thy, excuse me, of thy love and faith. By the way, it normally, when you see these words together, they're usually flipped. Here he says, love and faith. But hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. All right, that's the, the sentence there. But notice this uh, reference here to these, these faithful things in Philemon. Paul was thankful for his friend. He prayed consistently for him. All right, he says, I thank my God. And then you'll notice there's several phrases that follow that, making mention of you in my prayers, hearing of your love. So Paul was, was thanking God, and because he was thankful to God for Philemon, again, it wasn't just something he was saying. He was genuinely thankful, obviously. It, he prayed for Philemon. And again, this is a, 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 should be a personal lesson to us. We should pray for others. We should pray for others. And there's, there's no end to the matters that we should pray for, all right? In fact, the Bible tells us we should pray regarding everything, and we should always pray. <laughs> we should always pray and pray about everything. I mean, that should mark our lives, all right? But Paul's saying that he prayed for Philemon when he thought about him, all right? He was thankful for him, which caused him to pray for him. And he uses the word always. Again, I don't, I don't think that means that Paul was 24 hours a day praying for Philemon because there are other people that he says he always prayed for as well. All right? Uh, so obviously he wasn't the only one. But uh, Paul obviously was a man of prayer, and he prayed for different people, and Philemon was one of those men. And he prayed for him. He was thankful for him. And we'll see a couple things he specifically mentions here that he prays about regarding Philemon, but we see some, some good qualities here. Uh, in, it, was, it was evident to folks that Philemon loved the Lord and that he trusted the Lord. All right? And notice he says uh, I, in verse 4, I thank, my, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. And then verse 5, hearing of thy love and faith. Now, Paul knew Philemon personally. Okay? And later on, we'll see that it seems that Paul was probably the one that directly influenced Philemon to be a Christian, all right? Led him to the Lord, however you want to word it, uh, because he calls in, he, he mentions that Philemon owes himself to Paul. We'll see that later on. But the point here is that Paul's uh, hearing of Philemon's love and faith from other people. He knew it to be true because he knew him, all right? but he hears it from other people. It's possible even Onesimus had to confess to Paul that Philemon was a loving and faithful man. And, you know, so in other words, it seems there was no reason other than Philemon, or, uh, Onesimus didn't want to be a slave or whatever, but there's no reason that, you know, Onesimus had for turning on Philemon. In other words, he's the one that wronged Philemon, not vice versa. And so uh, Philemon was a faithful man. His, his love and faith, love and faith toward the Lord Jesus, that, that's an easy thing to see. 
But notice the way, it, the way it is grammatically, it also is saying that Philemon demonstrated love and faith toward the saints. He loved the saints and he had faith in the saints, toward the saints. Now, he's not trusting the saints the same way he trusts God, okay? But, but the point is, he had faith in God's people. And there's, there's a lot of things perhaps you could start picking apart in that and thinking about, but giving people the benefit of the doubt maybe and various things. But, you know, his relationship with others was important. It was evident of God working in his life. And there's some other verses there that, uh, well, did somebody get John 13, verse 35? All right, and if you'll read that. Okay, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. All right, that's Jesus addressing the apostles there the night before he's crucified, saying that love was going to be a characteristic mark. In other words, that's what's going to make a difference. People see the love that you have one toward another. That's, that's going to be a mark of, of Christ. And then, if you would, quickly, Andy, read verse John 4, 6 through 11. <clears throat> We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the truth of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. All right, there's a lot in those verses, but again, you see over and over and over again, you heard the point is we ought to love one another. God loved us. We should love God, of course. And once we love God, once we have a relationship with God, we can love others. Many things in the world, those without God, it's marked by selfishness, right? Sometimes people do favors for other people and so on only for what they can get out of it. That's not love, right? Uh, and so uh, sometimes even in a, in a family relationship, that's, that's the case, sadly. But, uh, but love and, of course, faith, these are things that really stand out for God's people. God's people are drawn to God's people. Now, we should love those in the world because we need to show them the love of Christ. We need to, we need to have a concern for them to re, you know, try to reach them and so on. But there's a special love that God's people would have one for another that we don't have for and with the world because there's not a common relationship as there is with Christ. And so... But notice, again, hurrying on here, look in the next couple of verses, we see some mentions about fruit in Philemon's life. All right, now, you'll notice the end of verse 5, there's not a period, the, the, the sentence is really continuing on, but verse 6 pertains to some things that Paul was praying about regarding Philemon, that, praying that, the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now, there's, there's a lot in these several statements in these verses, but let's just quickly try to consider several things here. Paul's 
purpose, or one of the purposes at least, that he's praying for Philemon is that there would be fruit in Philemon's life. Now, it doesn't mean that there hadn't been, because obviously there was, because Paul's saying he's heard of Philemon's love and faith, right? But he's praying that, notice, and, and I'll just kind of paraphrase it here in verse 6, that the communication, that's the word, the same word that's often rendered fellowship, all right, that the fellowship of your faith, your the participation, maybe you could say it that way, of your faith would become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus, so that your faith would grow is the idea. Because of your participation in Christ, that it's going to blossom and there's going to be fruit abounding in everything, every area of your life. God wants every area of your life to be fruitful. Now, it is true. I mean, I look back at my life, and I'm sure others would say this, could say the same thing. You know, most of the time, God focuses on one, maybe more than one, but not, I mean, in other words, he, he doesn't say, okay, here's the long list, everything you need to change right now. I mean, that would be, like, way overwhelming, and, you know, I mean, most of the time in your growth in, in your life, you're, you know, there's steps you're taking. you got to take this step. Then the next step. Now, for everybody, the, the, the individual steps may be a little different. And there's a lot of reasons for that based on where we start, you know, and where, you know, our backgrounds and a lot of different things. But, but the important thing is, is that we just continue to keep taking steps, taking steps. We think about, oftentimes, we think in our lives about the big things. You know, we think God's will and, you know, this big picture and so on. But, you know, to, for that to be the case made up of a bunch of little decisions, a bunch of little steps, a little acts of faith and obedience to God, things that when you look at, you know, sometimes they may even seem big themselves, but a lot of times it's just small things. And I think it's in Luke chapter 6, maybe I'm misquoting that, but Jesus makes the statement to him that's faithful in, in the least would be faithful in much. And you know, and then in the, uh, I think it's Luke six forty six. He also says that to whom much is given, much is required. Um, but the idea is, if we can't be faithful in the little things, we're not going to be faithful in the big things. And so, um, we God intends His His will is that we're we're faithful, fruitful, and growing in everything. And then notice this about Philemon. I got to get to this. This is this is neat when you think about this for. Uh, in verse 7, for we have great joy in consolation in thy love. Now notice that. Paul's saying to Philemon, when I'm thinking about you and the love that you have for others, that's, that's the idea here, it brings great joy to Paul and consolation, comfort, maybe the idea of satisfaction even. Paul was, he was pleased to see that. But notice, notice, this statement, he says, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Because the bowels of the saints. Now, the word bowels in the, in the KJV, literally, the word is, you know, your intestines, <laughs> that kind of an idea. But it's not, I don't think, ever used that way in the Bible. It's, it's a figurative sense of the, your, your inmost all right, you could just say your heart, your compassion, your tender mercies. It's often associated uh, with that word, but that, that's the idea, all right? So that 
the, the, the inward feelings of people were being refreshed by Philemon's life. Think about that, refreshed. That means that literally the idea is that his life brought the idea of rest and peace to other people. That's an interesting thing. <laughs> As a pastor, you think often about people that you're ministering to. And when you think of people, there are some people that, I'll just word it this way, certainly the thoughts of them don't bring you rest and refreshment. Okay? Now, I'm not saying anybody in here is like that, okay? I'm talking from my personal experience. Uh, certainly not. However, there are some I can think back and think of and think, you know, those people were a blessing and a refreshment. And, and one name that, for whatever reason, I thought of this, this name this morning and thinking about this, thinking through this, uh, and some, a few of you, anyway, know this person, but Claude Cornell, he was a person that he, would, he brings refreshment to those that know him, I, I believe. Um, Claude's a blessing to people. But my, my point of that in this is, think about your life, okay? To others, to Pastor Brinker. I mean, when he thinks of you, and I'm not putting words in his mouth or whatever, but... What does, what does he think about, you know? I don't know, but uh, do you bring refreshment? What about just as a, a, a husband-wife? Do you bring refreshment when your spouse thinks of you or exasperation? <laughs> now, I'm sure at times, you know, everybody's guilty of, of uh, hopefully both, but... Um, but seriously, our lives should. Think about that. Why, why, is, why does God include this in Scripture? Obviously, there's a personal example for us. That Philemon, the character of his life was such that Paul could write to him and basically say, you need to receive this person back who's wronged you. Because... And he gives him several reasons. If I start listing those, we'll get ahead of ourselves for the next part. But, but he's, he's confident that Philemon would do it because of what he knew about Philemon. And Philemon's love, his faith, those were two hallmark words about Philemon, that, that came to mind about Philemon. But yet Paul then also said that when others, other people's testimonies probably about Philemon were that he was a refreshment, not a burden. So what about you this morning? That should be a goal that we have in our lives, that our lives would be such that, you know, again, it's not a matter of we want, we want people to think this of us. That's not the point. But we should be striving so that our lives are refreshing to others and ministering peace and rest to others and not anxiety and you know, worry, and so on. Um, this being, and, there, and there's, there's 
a practical application here I got to mention before we close. We started late, so. <laughs> that is true, but anyway. Uh, two things, okay? You know, we should we should be praying for other people. That's kind of an obvious thing. You hear that a lot, okay? But there's a second thing that in in whenever I studied this passage and and so on and and put together these these lessons and that there was something that the Lord convicted me about in that and by way of application, and that is, you know, Paul's writing this letter thanking Philemon for really, although Paul was the one that influenced him for Christ, Paul's thanking Philemon that he's a refreshment to him and to others. And I challenge you this week to... Think of those that have influenced your life and thank them somehow. Maybe they don't live near you. You would have either, uh, you could call them or even write them a letter. That's not done a whole lot anymore, is it? Writing. Uh, but thank them. Do you realize that everybody, I mean, there's nobody that's here because of you as such. You're here because of other people have affected your life. And there's four men that I would say, uh, three particularly more than the fourth one, but uh, that have had a big spiritual influence on my life, and it's been a while since I've thanked them. But uh, I challenge you that this week. Think, Think of those people that have had influence in your life and thank them for that. And this being Mother's Day, I I probably ought to say this, you know, mothers are often overlooked as far as on the day-to-day basis, we often take mothers for granted, whether it's our wives or our mothers. This is the third, I think, Mother's Day for me that I haven't had my mom. And those of you who still have a living mom, don't take her for granted because she won't always be there. It's easy to do, I mean, because she's always been there for you, right? But there will come a time when, whether it's prematurely or just in the course of old age and life and disease and whatever, but there will come a time when she won't, she's, you're not going to have her here. And I think I could probably guarantee you that you'll miss her. Because... Whether, and I don't know, I don't know all your moms and, and so on, but whether your mom's a, a good spiritual influence in your life or not, she's been an influence in your life and helped you a whole lot. And she owes, you, you owe her a lot. So don't take her for granted. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we conclude, we just pray you'd help us to, again, be praying for people, be thanking people those that have had an influence in our lives, help us to not take our mothers for granted in that. And then obviously also, Lord, help us to be striving to be have our lives as such that we would be the right examples, bring refreshment to others, not be a burden to others, but be a refreshment to them. And uh, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for those that have been a refreshment in our lives. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.